Oh. I don't know. People always ask, like, <laughs> hey, is so-and-so from Focus the one that gets the meeting? I, like, I always have different names. I don't know. If, maybe I'm dealing with, like, some faux brand, like Folkleys okay. or Jokeleys instead of Oakleys, you know? Uh-huh. Like, <laughs> this is the, uh, the, you guys went to the Forkus conference, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know? <clears throat> Fellowship of Roman Catholic University students. Oh, dude, Forkus is going to your <laughs> campus, man. <Yeah. laughs> but good news is they only cost $100 a year. It's a, yeah, it's a discount. But you have to let them run ads. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. So, how are well, you guys doing? I feel like doing? we're getting better at praying together. I yeah, just go far away from good. the microphone oh. when we do the Hail Mary together. At what point, like how far away from the microphone, what's the cutoff that you're no longer praying with us, though? That's the question. <laughs> good point. It's like the... Yeah. Well, I I prefer to think of it like I'm listening to you guys as if you're EWTN or um, Relevant Radio praying the rosary in my car and I'm praying along with you. Like for that moment, I'm not in a conversation with you. I'm listening to you on the radio. Huh. You're you're a listener. I'm a listener. You're welcome. You have to know your audience. That's similar to the Office of Readings from Origin this morning of like, you know, you have like victim and, and priest, like your mm-hmm. podcaster and listener, mm-hmm. you know? Wow. Yeah. Man. That was a kind Gosh, of a cool, we... that was kind of a cool idea that he's, uh, the, the carrying the wood was the priest's job, but uh, Isaac was both carrying the wood and going to get burned up on it. Yeah. Foreshadowing mm-hmm. victim and priest. Hey, yeah. so this was, this was a weird thing that both in the office of readings today with Galatians and Origin and um, my... What I've been doing is like a continuous scripture reading in the morning after the breviary. And I've been going through Acts uh, the last week or two. And I'm in Acts 15, which is the Council of Jerusalem. And the whole discussion about circumcision and whether the Gentiles have to observe the whole Jewish law. And it's something that I've never really understood. Um, Why... You know, you got Peter's vision and Paul and his conversion and a lot of like really dramatic, miraculous things happening that seem to be the spirit very clearly saying like they don't they don't have to do this stuff. And it was pretty mind. I mean, to think of it from Paul's perspective, it had to be pretty mind blowing where like his whole life was about observing the law. And then all of a sudden from this one experience, it's completely different. And the law is basically like chucked. Mm. Um but I've always had a hard time distinguishing, like, why, because certainly the Decalogue isn't isn't abrogated, like, you still can't kill people, um, but the maybe dietary restrictions or purity laws, um, and I guess what I was thinking, of, it was just odd to have, have like, multiple readings all talk about this thing, because it rarely comes up in the scriptures or the... Well, and the gospel today was, like... Spot on that. Oh, I haven't said mass yet. Is that is that right? That's actually that's what the whole gospel is about. Well, Jesus is hardcore either. on the on the Sabbath. Is that what it's about? No, he talks about how their traditions. Oh yeah, the man made traditions have superseded 
the Decalogue, have superseded God's actual commands. Hmm. And so he, he sort of talks about that notion today. Um, well, see, that's that's what confuses me is that isn't that law like in Deuteronomy? Isn't that from God? You know, this is just one of the things I have a hard time explaining to people because I don't understand it myself. Like what, how that mm. whole history developed of the purity laws. And I, I don't honestly, I know about the mikvah baths and things like that from having gone to the Holy Land. But my impression was what, what I thought of this morning, which I submit to you guys for your reflections, was that maybe from Paul's perspective, because Peter wasn't even immediately convinced, like he was, he was having trouble reconciling and he was telling certain people to get circumcised wasn't he that's my impression from the galatians oh yeah that's exactly what paul says in galatians today um so it wasn't like a slam dunk for the party of the non-judaizers the non-circumcisers but what paul who's really hardcore on that side seems to be saying from context you read his other letters and stuff is that what he realizes um is that like in the case of the purity laws and the dietary restrictions, a lot of that is an attempt to kind of undo the the effect of sin in that it stains us or profanes us and to like separate out the sacred and to purify and to to kind of um yeah, unstain things, like to wash them clean from this effect of sin. Um but they never really could do them. Um, and that's kind of what Peter says is like, you're going to make these people wear this yoke that we couldn't even bear. You know, it never, we never actually got pure, nor were we able to ever actually observe even the moral law. Um, and I, I feel like the more, the purpose of, so that was the purpose of the purity laws was to kind of like, um, cleanse them and, and, and restore them to this sacred status as the divine image. And the moral law, the like Decalogue and stuff was to, to reinstitute the harmony that was there in Eden between, well, man and himself, man and, and uh, his fellow man and man and God. Like those relationships were disrupted by sin. And so the moral law was in, a, was in effect trying to restore them. But neither, both fell short because without the Holy Spirit, you can't do either. You can't be cleansed of your sin and you can't live an upright moral life and return to Eden. But only through uniting yourself to Jesus and receiving the Holy Spirit in the church through the sacraments can either of those things take place and therefore make the the old law which were which I guess Paul kind of reads just as as the purpose was somewhat to show us the futility of our own efforts to do either of those things then in Jesus like of course you don't need that that anymore because you have the real thing does that make sense I'm not probably yeah, saying anything new. Like, this is probably just straight out of Scott Hahn, but... No, I think so. Um, I mean, I, I'd have to think about it more to, like, add anything to that, I think. But I like what you... I like what you said. I was almost thinking it's like, you know, sometimes... And I don't know if this is just a Catholic thing or what, but I think sometimes we can be... Af- not afraid, but, like, you know, going down that road and... And like realizing, trying to like find out exactly what Paul is saying is important because then we also have to like reconcile it with it's like just the importance we do place on tradition yes. today. And That's so we why don't I find like, it so difficult. Right. So we don't like, we don't make the flip all the way to 
oh gosh, what you see all the time of like, it's just this me and Jesus thing. Like I don't need to go to mass on Sundays because mm-hmm. I'm spiritual and I can like do these readings on my own or, you know, whatever. Like it's not about religion. It's about like my relationship with, with Jesus. Except, I mean, stuff you hear all, all the time. Mm-hmm. And so then we have to go back and say, well, actually, no, it's like, no, the discipline of going to mass on Sundays is actually really, really important and actually like, yeah, participating physically in, in the sacraments and in a sense, like, you know, following our tradition, like that is actually just equally as important today. So I, I feel like that's where the tension maybe comes in yeah. today. That's not getting it like trying to figure out exactly what Paul is saying, which may be fruitful, probably is very fruitful to think about. But well, Paul kind of scares me, to be honest, like both from a personal perspective, like the other thing, uh, from Acts 15 is that he gets in a fight with Barnabas about this John Mark, you know, and like, all right, well, fine, we're splitting up. And he's just like a super hardcore guy. And I feel like he would be very intimidating to be around. But then also the fact that, like you're saying, this sort of Protestant justification by faith alone um, was sort of, I I guess, reading Paul's um, abrogation of the old law as a, as a reason to abrogate like the mass, you know, like sure. that's works righteous righteousness that you guys are are representing the the sacrifice on Calvary. You're killing Christ over and over again, as if your works have anything to do with it. Jesus did it all. You just have to have a relationship with Him. So yeah, we stay away from Him. But um, I guess what I'm trying to say is like that that new covenant is the Mass. You know, that's how you get right. Oh yeah. and yeah. able to become a saint. So the moral law is not abrogated. Like we still have to obey the Ten Commandments because that's just basic being human. Um, But the other laws, the dietary and the purity laws, were just there to try to set us up, to set the people apart somewhat, like to cordon off like at least a little bit of humanity to make them sacred and unsullied by the world and sin. But that never worked until the Holy Spirit. I don't know. Yeah. Well, if nothing else, there's a a dude. What's that? Uh, go ahead. I I have something, but I'll go ahead. I'll I'll hold. Well, I. Th- yeah, I wish I knew more about this, but you know, kind of per the podcast, let's just go for it. Whatever. <laughs> but there's a guy up a here you haven't seen. Or... The, no, no, no. Well, this is I mean specifically to what we're talking about. But there's a guy up here, Ben, and he's like a super genius and speaks Hebrew and. Um, like whenever we have these questions specifically around Christ dealing with the scribes and the Pharisees, I'll go and talk to him because he studied intensely under a rabbi and he's this like just language expert and knows Jewish law, like he knows the Mishnah, knows the Talmud, knows basically all of the laws, hardcore. Like Ben, you're basically a Jew, man. You get that, right? And, and he, wasn't, so he wasn't born Jewish? No, no, he was not born Jewish. He's, he just studied under a rabbi. To learn it. Yeah. Wow. And, and learned all these different languages. He's he's just an incredibly smart guy. So I generally come to him with, with questions about stuff like this. But one of the things that he constantly goes back to and emphasizes is it, I don't know if I've ever heard him use this specific language, but like there's a hierarchy of law. And like you're saying is like some are essentially abrogated for the following of the most important and the most true laws. And so I, that, that would be like the Ten Commandments and everything else kind of um, is secondary to that. 
but he also emphasizes 100% because he's heard like folks preach about it here that Jesus intentionally breaks the law. And he would say, no, like Christ is the perfect fulfillment of the law. Mm. And he actually does live that. And so I think when we have these interactions where the Lord um, kind of dumps on either the scribes and the Pharisees or chooses to follow another law that looks like the negation of one of the lesser like purification or dietary laws that he is showing how to actually fulfill the law, which would be worship God, like love that. your neighbor mm-hmm. and honor your father and mother. And so it looks like, like just at a, like a, a really quick glance that he's dumping on the law, but he's actually showing what's the best way and how you're actually supposed to truly fulfill the law. So the gospel today is all about you follow your own traditions and yet the commandment from God's mouth is to honor your father and mother. But the traditions that you've established have made it so that you can't keep that commandment. So he breaks the secondary law slash tradition slash commandment in order to fulfill the primary one that comes direct from the mouth of God. And the struggle that I have with it is I don't know what the hierarchy of laws are outside Mm -hmm. of like even within the Ten Commandments, Ben has mentioned that there's like three in particular um, that that you you can never ever like ever break for no matter what, whereas other ones you can break in order to save somebody's life. And he even says like you know if you break even one of the Ten Commandments, if it's not one of the top three, then um, it's your obligation in fulfillment of the law to break those other laws in order to save somebody's life. Mm. And so living out the law correctly is always ordered towards, ultimately towards Christ, even when they weren't, even when they didn't know Christ and didn't see him as the fulfillment of it, is Christ in the Gospels is teaching the people how to actually fulfill the laws given by God. And that's the, that's, I think that's the Catholic thing to like your point, Rob, is mediation and order is a part of the ontology of creation is like you can't get around the fact that um, that laws are are crafted into our our being are crafted into our nature that priests mediate things that we still have traditions and commandments that are handed on from one person to the next that that's like a part of that's a part of being a human and it's in every basically every facet of creation so we can't do the protestant thing and just throw all of it out and say i no longer need anybody else it's just me and god and by faith alone i can be saved because you're throwing out like honestly you're throwing out reality and and the nature of of existence is all those things are mediated to us through creation through nature through our neighbors through our parents all of those things through scripture through tradition but at the same time, we can't get so caught up in all of those things that that's like the end. And then we start to keep traditions just for tradition's sake. Right. Like it always does have to be geared towards towards Christ. Um, I like that hierarchy a, of laws. That makes a lot of sense. Um, mm-hmm. And that Jesus is, I mean, it makes sense of Matthew 5 too, that I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Not one iota of the law will pass away. Um that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. So like when the man with the withered hand is in the synagogue on the Sabbath, he heals him, even though he knows the Pharisees will see that as a violation of the Sabbath because he's technically doing work 
I've always found that kind of a weird reading. Like they thought him doing this miracle that no one could ever do until Jesus was like work. Like how did, it seems like a, a kind of work in a category all its own. Um, it's not like making a basket or brewing coffee or something. He healed a dude's hand. But anyways, he knows that they're going to think it's work and therefore violation. And then he, he quotes him like, wouldn't you pull your donkey out of a ditch or something, you know, like, wouldn't you water your animals even though it's the Sabbath? Cause I mean, you have to keep them alive, you know? Um, so is it lawful to do good or evil on the Sabbath? <clears throat> so yeah, that makes sense that the Sabbath law is subordinate to the overarching law of, um, love your neighbor, you know, and do and save him when you have the opportunity to do so, or it's, you know, circumstances dictate that. Yeah. Instead of this, like, let's just break the law. That's what I always kind of get a little, um, squeamish about is that our Paul and Peter and the gang, are they just saying like, all right, guys, like Jesus wants us to break the law now. Like, how does that work where God is apparently contradicting himself where before you had to do this and now, whoops, you don't have to do it anymore. I came to abolish the law especially when he says explicitly that he did not come to abolish the law. Um, but I was putting this in the context. I'm thinking of this talk I have to give in July at the, the Young Adult Liturgy Conference. Well, hey, Connor, before yeah. you get on to that, Rob, I know I had something. I don't know if, if like before we go on to the talk, if you wanted to. Oh, um, what I was thinking of, that was really good. Ben's a dog, too, isn't he? Ben is a dog, dude. Nice, dude. In He's good standing. A, yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. Oh, this is a seminarian? Absolutely. So he's like a super genius. I don't know. He's how a, to dis- he's a super I don't know what seminarian. He's, doing. he's a super you seminarian. Yeah. Okay. You meet him and you're like, oh yeah, that's Ben. That's okay. Ben. No doubt about it. Um, he's awesome. But what was I gonna say? Oh, well, I've been reading um just about that of like the the general um what you were saying, Mike, of like how deeply ingrained this is also in just like being human and, and all of that. But I'm reading this book called the coddling of the American mind right now by Jordan hate, I think is his name. Um, have I talked about this at all in the cast briefly, but maybe in an episode that didn't air. Okay. Gotcha. So anyway, but he, the part I read last, uh, was yesterday. He was talking about how deeply ingrained, uh, tribalism is in the human psychology. And so he, he talked about these experiments of, like they were doing some type of like brain scan on people and like they had to watch images of people's just fingers getting pricked, like experiencing some type of pain. <coughs> Excuse me. And he said that it is true that like different parts of their brain would react differently. Like if they were the same race as the person who was being like wounded in some way, even though it's just a prick on the finger. And then they said if they told the people like the religion that they were, then it is true that like if someone like shared your religion, you reacted in a different way, like a stronger way with empathy, more so than someone that wasn't. But then he said they also did other experiments with just like totally even more arbitrary um, like groupings. And so they would just take this group and they would flip a coin and they would separate you into heads and tails beforehand. And like if you were a heads then you reacted more strongly strongly with your empathy. <laughs> That's crazy. That with other people who had gotten heads than with tails, etc. And so, so the point is, is like whatever that is, he I think he used the word tribalism. 
is so deeply ingrained in the human psychology. And he was kind of saying that I think why that is so like why identity politics and things like that can be so intoxicating for people um, today and so dangerous as as well. But I was just thinking about that of um, with and I, I don't know how it like works into the law necessarily, but um, just with like Catholicism, even like Jesus gathering the tribes to himself and being able to fulfill like the, just these deeply held or just deep realities of human nature as well. And I was trying to reconcile that with like, yeah, that's that's maybe the one experience I've had at least of like different experiences of Catholicism practiced authentically all across the world and in different ways, whether it be from like Bethlehem or France or like small town Illinois, et cetera. And there is this notion that um, like there's just a different notion of togetherness or belonging that I've experienced there than anything else that has been able to hold Hmm. anyway. Um, so that was the general point. I don't know how I was specifically thinking of it tied into what we were talking about with the, the law, but does that make sense anyway? Yeah, I think so. It makes sense of the <clears throat> sacramental economy that we are mm-hmm. it's grace building on nature, grace perfecting nature. And that's kind of what I was going to say about this talk is that I was thinking, well, the whole conference is on divinization, the transfiguration. And where um, are you speaking? He, like up me. there at uh, at Mundelein, the oh, liturgical well, institute is, thing. Okay. When is that? In July, I want to say. Okay. Yeah, I'll throw it in the show notes if people want to sign up. Um, Chicago, Dude, very Chicago cool, area. man. Yeah, it's kind of crazy that I'm talking. DMAC asked me to do it a while back, and he, I was like, "Dude, you sure? I'm not that smart." And he's like, "Like, I don't, I'm not a credentialed professor of liturgy like you guys." It's like David Fagerberg is talking and DMAC. <laughs> Chris Carson's um anyways so I'm just kind of reflecting I'm jotting down notes as I pray and think over this next six months or whatever um but that this occurred to me this this whole idea of like the purpose of the law always being our return to Eden to fulfill um our nature as the divine image like to live in harmony with God and each other and ourselves in perfect freedom um, and the only way for that to happen finally was for Jesus to do it in us, to live it in us, you know, for him to become human so that we could become God. And, um, yeah, so there's, it's not in opposition at all to our humanity. And so the idea that you'd skip, um, things like rules, like who's going to live without rules, name one person, Protestant or Catholic whose house in in whose house the parents don't make rules, you know, um, because human beings need them. They need restrictions. They need, they need limitations in order to feel even free, um, to, to, to act and to do because they know what's off limits. Um, same thing with hierarchies, you know, like that, what you were saying about the hate book kind of reminds me of the Jordan Peterson book. His whole first chapter is about lobsters and how like this, one of the oldest evolutionary creatures on earth feels depressed when it gets beat in a fight and will uh, be less likely to, to fight another lobster in the future. Like the, the lobster hierarchy is just, it's the same as the playground um, down to like the serotonin in their nervous system. And if you like pump serotonin into a lobster, it will, 
it will like gain confidence that it didn't have before and fight mm-hmm. fight lobsters that are bigger than it um so like the the whole idea of hierarchy and and things like these things are so hardwired into our even our dna and our neurons um that's that's all part of god's creation and our nature that's being perfected in christ um yeah and and the fact like he knew it and subordinated himself to human hierarchy and like inserted himself into into that order into the laws of of creation like he didn't go around it but that when we talk about he took on like all of humanity that what is not assumed is not redeemed he subordinated himself to the power of of nature crushing him like through the hierarchy that exists just in in creation in and of itself in creation that he chose to enter into that and not come to save us in spite of it or like dance around that fact he actually used the law to save us fulfilled in himself but that he's the fulfillment of it he didn't do it in spite of it or go around it and like i the same thing has to apply for us. We, he doesn't come to abolish those things, but that he comes to fulfill them. Um, yeah, that's the whole Philippians hymn. Mm-hmm. Like he totally emptied himself. Maybe okay. Maybe that was my point. Even with bringing up the the hate book of, like, he didn't come like just to just solely to like like free us from this part of our human nature that for whatever reason, like what can be called tribalism is, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like to just like smash that and take it away because it shouldn't be that way. And we should welcome everybody, blah, blah, blah. But he actually came to like what Connor was saying, like literally divinize us or give us the capacity to like, that's like a supernatural grace almost Mm -hmm. to be able to, to actually integrate that, in an authentic way and to be able to see like, like the world as brothers and sisters as well. Like that's, that's what I guess I I realized from that is like how hard and how high of a call that is because of what's wired in us. Um, but like he's actually able to do it. Could you say it like this though, Rob too, that, um, by saying that my neighbor is my brother, whether that person is of a different religion, different race, different mm-hmm. gender, whatever, um, I'm saying something deep because I know what my brother means to me because sure. I do have family ties. I do have certain relationships that are primary, that I do care about this person more than other people. And if mm-hmm. I had a choice to save this person from drowning or that person from drowning, I'd save them because I have ties to them tribally. Yeah, absolutely. But what Jesus is saying is that 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 specific or that particular relationship that you have with those people, now I'm going to make it so that you're capable of seeing everyone that way. Exactly. That's it. So you can't. It's not. It's not. Let's saying like now you don't have brothers anymore because everybody's equal. Mm-hmm. It's that now everybody is intensely related to me. Mm-hmm. And without sure. intense particular, yeah, you get what I'm saying. But that's that's a huge trap. I feel mm-hmm. that um, we skip. 
You know, I've, I'm obsessed right now with this movie Athos with the the monks on Mount Athos in Greece. Have I talked to you guys about <laughs> yeah. this? Oh, yeah. I've watched oh, yeah. it like four or five times just to like, I watched it with Jamie. I watched it with my parents. I watched it with Tom. Um, cause I'm just like, you, you have to watch this. Like, I don't know what it is about it, but it's not, it's free on Amazon Prime right now. It's from like three years ago. This German film crew went to Athos, which you remember Father de Gaulle? Have I talked to you guys about this or mentioned it on the podcast? I don't remember. You told us the whole story. I don't know if that podcast aired or not. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Well, That's I, all it's I just, know. there's, these guys are like, when I think of St. Paul and St. Peter, I think, I think the closest thing we have to those guys right now are these monks, you know, or like St. Anthony of the desert and these really early Christian, like how they actually saw the world. There's this great scene where a newly ordained priest monk is he and one other monk are, are kind of rehabbing this hermitage. There's been monks on this mountain for a thousand years. And so there's like certain parts of the, mountain um have like little hermitages that fall out of use when the population of monks goes down that goes back up and so these two get sent off from a main monastery out to set up this hermitage so that more monks might follow them like in years to come and one gets ordained a priest so that they can have mass at the hermitage and uh so he's a newly ordained priest and he's cleaning out this like every every monastery has this place where they put the remains of the monks they dig them up after a few years and put their skulls and bones on shelves and stuff as kind of like i don't know what catacombs it's a weird christian thing that they've been doing forever and (laughs) these monks still do it and he's pulling out these skulls from this this old catacombs thing that's been kind of fallen into disrepair and not been taken care of it's all dusty and gross so he's he's cleaning them with wine and he's got all these skulls in a in a wheelbarrow and he pulls two out and he's standing in front of the camera and he's just like you'll notice that you know this one's a priest um because it has this fourth suture on the skull that makes a makes a cruciform pattern and, there, and sure enough he's holding two skulls and one of them has like a cross you know how the skull sometimes has those cracks in it mm-hmm. from um how the skull grows i guess how the head grows and uh He's like, that's a sign of the grace of orders that, you know, that only that only happens with the skulls of priest monks. And I'm like, so much about this uh, betrays the difference in worldview between like the modern Western worldview and this ancient like sacramental worldview that first of all, you're standing there holding human skulls of of fellow monks, you know, like we all end up in the same place and we remember our death and it's not that big a deal. We believe in resurrection, but that we would believe that God would make this like little sign to us that, uh, that this is a priest and then that that's real. And that would have a physical manifestation somehow, even in his remains after long after he died. I don't know. It's, um, it looks like the hardest freaking life because they have nothing but wood stoves and they have to get through winter on this mountain and, um, they just live together and work together and pray together, uh, to try to become saints. And to me, that's like what Thomas Merton said about Gethsemane Monastery, the Trappist, that the United States was revolving around this spot, even though it didn't know it, that this was actually the center of the country because it was the heart, like where Jesus was planting his flag kind of, um, divinization sacramental worldview yeah 
Yeah, it's a similar feeling. I remember. I don't. Did you guys go to Marsaba when you were in Jerusalem? Mm-hmm. We didn't but get I to remember, go in though. Oh dang, dude! I remember being in in there. They actually have a skull room that they we were able to like. It was yeah, it was just an incredible, incredible place. But it's similar to like words just kind of still fail me thinking about that place and then actually going into the sepulcher um, in Jerusalem. But that's kind of how like the description at least was implied was Marsaba specifically. I remember writing in my journal that it just like the only word to to describe it would be like a furnace for the world um, of this place that has just been able to endure. And kind of that same sense of like somehow like the world is warmed by this spot or like revolves around this spot. I love that. I don't really have words for it, but just relating to the experience anyway. There's a, a monk that said uh, one of the nicknames of this mountain is the the Holy Virgin's Garden, and that the monks are all like uh, her blossoms, and that they grow here and mature and develop their scent. And the only woman allowed on this mountain is the Mother of God. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it's you know, and they talk about how like over a thousand years, these religious experiences and this wisdom gets stored up on the mountain. Like these monks live and die and leave a mark here, you know, that God was able to, to get down into our world through their souls, you know? Mm. Um, and that, that, I guess that's what I mean is that if, if you were to talk to St. Paul today, he would not be like a mega church pastor talking about justification by faith through, uh, by faith alone. He would be more like those guys, you know, mm. that, uh, that he's, he's all about the spirit getting into the world through us and sanctifying um, and making those, those old demands of the law obsolete in the sense that now God comes straight um, to earth through the church, through us, you know, Uh, but still mediate like we, yeah, still mediated so that you learn from your brother and you learn from your father and tradition and, um, authority and and all the rest of it that that's still in place. We're still human, but it's been like that furnace is now burning. Um, and there was foreshadowing of it in the Old Testament with Jeremiah. I'm going to write my law straight on your hearts and and all of that stuff. Um, you know, circumcise your hearts or rend your hearts, not your garments. Like all all of the things that were meant to be outward signs of what God intended to do from the beginning which was redeem us from the inside out. Those were all there. Um, but now it's happening through saints. Story complete. Amen. I do have my, I've been going through my uh, journal from the Holy Land. Did I tell you all this? No, you texted me the one from Bethlehem, which was so cool. <laughs> Dude, I, I think it's because the guys are over there. I'm just very nostalgic, and I miss the Holy Land a lot. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I tracked every day and wrote notes from every day that I was over there and um, did a little photo album with a Bush League disposable <laughs> camera. But I've just been kind of going through each day and reading the different entries and going back to those memories and those moments. And, um, I have the Marsaba 
one right here. Do you mind if I just give it a whip? Do it. Whip it. Whip it good. Yeah. So this is on the 24th of January. So we're a little bit past it. I cantered this morning. I'm glad that's over. Dude, I hate it. <laughs> hey, Gander. That's all that has written. <laughs> well, yeah. That's all it is. That's all I'm glad okay. that's over with. It was a terrible day. Um, went well, though. Big graces. We visited Marsaba. It's neatly situated in the Kidron Valley, one of the most spiritually alive places I have ever experienced. Desert, cave homes, Kidron Valley, a millennia old, even older than that. Monks were so good to us prayed in their chapel at the tomb of Marsaba, led us into the founding room for the whole monastery. They had skulls of monks who were martyred by the Persians over a millennia ago. Icons everywhere in sight. Very beautiful. Love the Mikhail icon, God the Father. Father Bema had never been in the skull room where Marsaba saw the fire. It had been 40 years for Father Webb. He must have been 50 at the time. (laughs) (laughs) Look at that. You leaving a little Easter egg in your own journal. (laughs) I did, yeah. I had breakfast with Father Webb this morning, and we Uh, talked about the Holy Land. It was great. Um, Landscape is so intimidating. And and then the rest is about like Cam Knight or something like that, but... Yeah, man. That's interesting, Mm -hmm. the image of fire that's reoccurred in what y'all are talking about, because I think that was how Marsaba knew how to found that actual monastery was he saw a fire and mm. that's the place where he's buried now. Um, yeah, hmm. it's, yeah, it was, it's a beautiful place. Marsaba uh, means Saint Saba, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And who is Saint yeah. Saba? He's just a, a saint in the Eastern church. Cause that, or do we have him too? I don't know. It's a good question. Cause we have Saint John Damascene. Wasn't he at Marsaba? Yeah, he was at yes. Marsaba. Yes. And he was one of the guys who fought against um, iconoclasm. Mm-hmm. It makes sense because, I mean, all. Right. Their chapel is full of these icons. And yeah, I mean, it's just so ancient. Yeah. Well, that's man, a, that's another thing I don't know very much about, but I feel like applies the, the whole idea of icons and wanting to get rid of them, like thinking that that's idol worship. Yeah. That's another example where it's like we. We get it wrong. We we read it wrong. Like we think Paul is talking about don't go to mass. You don't need the mass. You just need the Bible, um, which is an anachronistic way of reading him. Just the same as like reading no graven images in the old covenant means don't make pictures of Jesus or statues of saints. Like this is, that's an old, that's the old way of thinking. Like we're not making a statue of a, of a calf and thinking that if we just worship it, it will give us rain these saints and these images are windows into heaven because material reality can and has born divine reality in Jesus. Um, you know, so it's all, it's all piece of a whole, you know what I mean? Like you, the, that's the new wine skin. I feel like you have to you have to what change it, your mind. You have to get metanoia in order to see the world this way. Yeah. I think that's, that's it. It's all like seeing the world correctly mm-hmm. is that's man. There's a lot there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause the same thing sort of happened in just art in general, that the idea of the more abstract forms that you actually need to negate 
the laws of symmetry and of angles and of sharp definition that it like when we do that even with our own pictures that they kind of turn into like they turn into abstractions and kind of blob nothingnesses and i think it's the same idea that oh we don't need to follow the law anymore and yet mm-hmm. we can still create beauty and still see and depict the world the way that it actually is yeah. and i don't know if that's the case um i i don't believe that's the case at all Mm-mm. that we actually that those things help us to live hearts or have hearts and live lives that are ordered completely to God. Like that's the, his whole thing. Instuare omnia in Christo. Like he remakes all things and refashions all things uh, in and through the laws and the, the, the way that he has created us. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just so tough. Like I don't know how you can get around that fact. And I think when you try to, like to try to get rid of images or to try to get rid of um, basic human laws. Yeah. I don't the need idea to confess mediation. my sins to a priest. Yeah. The, the idea of mediation alone, everything is mediated to me. Nothing is direct contact. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all through some sort of sense experience or through some sort of relationship that I think at the heart of it, it's a type of like docetism. Mm-hmm. It's like a rejection of of humanity in in that i mean like a rejection of creation mm-hmm. um that even in the garden which is like you're saying that's the heavenly jerusalem that's what we're returning to that's what god is refashioning is even there there were like set laws of the best way that god wanted you to live that was best for us that was that was actually meant for our greater good um and so if it's a return to the garden, then structure will exist and it will be good. Like law, law will be inherent there. Yeah. I, so, but it's difficult to communicate that because it's such a big picture thing. Like we believe in signs and symbols and that they are bearers of deep meaning and grace. And that's the way that we see the world. Like we use water we believe that somehow water filled with the form of the word purifies somebody and makes them a son of God or a daughter of God. Mm. Like, like that's pretty wild (laughs) that with the word of the priest of Christ, that bread takes on the substance of God. Like that is unbelievable, man. Um, Believe it, baby believe it but i don't know like how can you yeah it's tough to describe that to somebody and say it in a way that's receivable mm-hmm. from somebody who doesn't have that worldview that's what i'm saying like that skull scene in that movie was so yeah. stark to me like <laughs> to i have tried to foster in myself a worldview um consonant with my belief in in christ and everything but i mean to be honest with you like the scientific materialist uh account of creation and and thinking about the world is deep in me um and some of that is true some of it is a corrective to kind of superstition and stuff from the past but there's also just as much lost in the fact that we don't we don't really reverence a person's 
mortal remains anymore the way that the early christians did the martyrs bones and stuff you know like we kind of think that that's the garbage part and uh let's just burn it up and throw it in on the golf course um but the fact that this guy's holding this this skull and it's like Christ came into this person's body through ordination and marked his skull with a cross, you know, um, that's profound. Um, and I have to be honest with you, trouble believing it because I'm a modern yeah. realist, you know. But at the same time, I'm like, I think you are way more in touch with reality than I am because of how you live every day. You know, like I'm what I'm more in touch with reality because I read the news. Give me a break, dude. That guy does nothing but pray and work and and talk to God all day long on a mountain. Yeah. Um, this has been a really esoteric episode. I got to go get going soon. But if you're interested in this kind of crud, um, the liturgy conference, be transfigured dot com. The liturgical institutes the weekend of Friday, July 12th, 13th oh. and 14th. But go to BreeTransfigured.com. We'll put that in the show notes. But I'm sure DMAC and Jesse Wheeler will be happy we give him some free advertising. But You're welcome, DMAC and Jesse. This is a young yeah, adult it, liturgy conference. Dude, that sounds legit. David Fagerberg, who is super legit. Yeah. Um, yeah, he like is. GK oh Chesterton, gosh. if he were reincarnated. He, Yeah, he gave one of the best talks I've ever heard Yeah, uh, when he was the Pollock Lecturer. Father Karchi, Dr. Lynn Bowden, Chris Carstens, Dr. Dennis McNamara, Miss Elizabeth Black, and Father Seabisk. <laughs> wow, dude, that is a serious crew that you're rolling. That's a lineup. With. I know, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. one of these things is not like the other. Yeah. Dude, I, can I just say something that I really appreciate about what you brought up, Connor? Is like, Paul, that's what Paul was talking about. And I think in a lot of ways, Paul has been. He's been hijacked. Even how I read the Bible, I'm trying to read Paul not in the law is bad Protestant reading of it. And it's like the way that I read scripture and it drives me nuts. Mm -hmm. But the fact that Paul, this is what he was actually trying to say was that like God's life is in you Mm -hmm. and mediated through creation, but dwells in you and is trying to transform you into a new person. That's, like, what was Paul? What was he actually saying, man? That's what blew his mind, I think. And partly is it's inchoate right there in the in the conversion story that Jesus himself appears to him and says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? So obviously Jesus identifies himself with the church and vice versa. Um so it's As no longer I who live and Galatians is right there in the in the thing this morning. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Um that's his rationale for don't get circumcised. Don't don't worry about that stuff that was all meant to try to purify you and set you apart and make you uh, good with God again because now it's doing he's fulfilled it in a different way that that stuff is no longer needed. But you still, I mean, obviously you're going to not go sleep with prostitutes and you're not going to worship idols and some of the basics of the law because now God's living in you and God doesn't do that stuff. Yeah, does Jesus tell you to go and sin? Unthinkable. Right. Unthinkable. Unthinkable. But you're right. It's kind of like um it's kind of like atheism um is just always conditioned against theism. Like a person who's an atheist is really just a person who denies God. It's a it's a universal negative. Um and you don't want to be that kind of Catholic where it's like, I'm Catholic because I'm not Protestant. Yeah. And like when I read Paul, I'm just making sure that I'm not reading it 
through this Lutheran lens. No, it's like, this is our book, you know, this was ri- written by the Catholic Church. Paul was a priest, a bishop, an, an apostle. What was he really getting at positively? Um, it, the guy was a savage. He, he was a he savage. Was a he, savage. He, he came yeah. in and straight up yelled at Peter. Yeah. Like, yeah. Took him to, to task, face. man. He he came. He spent three years on his own, mm-hmm. which is epic because it's also the same time that the apostles would have spent with Jesus, and then yeah, preached true. and then verified his message. Was like, hey, this is what I'm preaching. Does this sound about right? And then just started blasting the leader of the church, right? Which is so unbelievable and epic. Like, who mm-hmm. is this guy? <laughs> And then Peter, legitimately, like Peter's humility to take it and, you know, like you're eating with Gentiles one day and then the Jews come and then you start eating like the Jews and Mm -hmm. what are you doing, man? Be free. Yeah. Just be free, man. Just be free. (laughs) Exactly. That's exactly what Paul's saying. It's like, just don't even worry about the rules anymore. God doesn't care what you wear to church, dude. Come on, man. (laughs) Come on, man. (laughs) All right. I got to get going. See you, Bisk. It's been real. Wonderful, wonderful. See you, man. All right, peace. See ya. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.